You know, through this entire series, watching that bumper, I thought how cool it would be at the end of the series to hand out smoke flares. <laughs> but we're not going to do that. I'd hate to burn the building down for that. Man, good to see you guys. Glad we're here. Really good to be together. Uh, I hope your life is going well. I'm excited to uh, bring us across finish line in our series called High Alert, which is a look at the five warning passages in the book of Hebrews. Um, I don't know about you, but I've had a great time and uh, just been an awesome deep dive into a book of the Bible that is so very uh, important. So hopefully you, you brought a Bible with you today. We're going to talk a lot about uh, a lot of things. So, you know, Hebrews is all about warning believers about the possibility and the consequences of moving away from Jesus. Uh, it's a very real possibility. In fact, for those of us that have believed in Jesus, we consider ourselves Christians. We are Christians. It's easy to go through life and somehow, you know, loosen your grip on Jesus and return to that which is easy uh, or familiar. So one time following uh, a service um, lots of years ago, uh, I was down front and a woman approached me with some confusion about what she had experienced in our worship service. She was clearly moved by the experience, by the worship time, the sermon, all of that. And she started by saying, I'm really working hard uh, so that God will love me and I can go to heaven. Now, for those of us in a, in a grace camp, that's, that's like saying Sikkim, right? I mean, wow. But you know how common that is, right? Some of you have been there. Some of you may still be there. You're wondering, okay, how good do I have to be in order to get God to love me and in order to make it to heaven? And so I simply, in the time that we had, explained to her, that's not how it works. It's not about doing, it's about done. It's about what Jesus has already done for you. And now, believe it or not, there's nothing you can do by way of good behavior to get God to love you any more than he does and to earn your way to heaven. I love those kinds of conversations. They are liberating and they are, in this case, literally eye-opening because I had an experience that day that I'd never had prior to that and I've never had since. As this woman comprehended the free offer of the gift of eternal life, I literally saw light in her eyes. Her eyes just came alive. And in that moment, I believe she comprehended the free offer of eternal life through Jesus because it's embraced simply by believing. So for that reason, you don't have to raise a hand, sign a card, make any promises, get up out of your seats and travel to anywhere. In a moment, a single moment of belief, we can access the promise that Jesus has given us. Now, now, the truth is we can grow or we can stumble along in that new life that has been given to us. So just as in that day, I saw that light appear in her eyes as she comprehended the gospel. So too many years ago, I was with pastors uh, in a small group setting in another state. And I can remember one guy talking about his challenges uh, in the church that he was in. This is what pastors talk about when we get away. We talk about you guys, okay? So, and here's what he said. It's like, he said, our church is a place where no one has shining eyes anymore. That phrase has always stuck with me because what he meant by that was that there 
was a kind of dullness that had settled over the congregation. Nobody seemed to be excited. Nobody seemed to be, you know, trusting God in deep ways. They, they lost that twinkle in their eye. And I wonder sometimes if that's true for you and for me, if it's possible to get to a point where we kind of lose that twinkle in our eyes. And in the case of the woman that I talked to, she had experienced faith by hearing the gospel. The Bible says it this way, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So while our, 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 the twinkle in our eye can be dulled, so too can our sense of spiritual hearing. We can lose that acuity, that fine-tunedness toward, toward the truth. And for some Christians, not only has the light gone out of their eyes, but they have plugged up their ears so that they can no longer hear God. This is why the writer of Hebrews has said earlier in chapter 5, you've become dull of hearing, he says. Man, I hope that's not true of you and me. The Greek word for dull of hearing means to be lazy or slothful or literally hard of hearing. So in the first week of our series, we affirmed a truth that's been reinforced through the biblical text week after week after week in our study on the book of Hebrews. And uh, I shared it with you that first week, and here it is again. Christians can fail miserably. They can even walk away from Jesus in search of familiar, more comfortable alternatives. Leaving Jesus is the ultimate deception, since nothing compares to Jesus. Such disobedience positions the believer for God's discipline, ignoring God's warnings also leads to a loss of privilege reward in God's eternal kingdom. Now, we have been developing that theme as it unfolds to us on passage after passage after passage in this five-week series. We've looked at each of those five warnings, and we've been told to pay attention and don't drift away and don't neglect your future salvation and reward. But put another way, every Christian will be with Jesus forever, but not every Christian will be rewarded with the privilege of ruling with Jesus as a companion. That has been the theme that we've seen in the book of Hebrews. So one of the patterns that we see in Hebrews is, is that the author says it like this. He says, look at Jesus, and then he says, look at the Israelites, and then he says, look at yourselves. And he'll sort of mix up the order, okay? This is what we see over and over and over again. So look at Jesus, there's Jesus, look at Jesus, and then he'll say, look at the Israelites. Let's take an example, look at the Israelites. And then he'll say, look at yourselves, how are you doing? And he continues that theme in this final section today. So to discourage falling away from Jesus and this willful defiance that we looked at last week in Hebrews chapter 10, willful defiance against God, the author points to examples of faithful Old Testament heroes. We know this as Hebrews chapter 11. Now, we're not going to have time to dive into Hebrews 11 today. But boy, if you're looking for something to read, go land there. Uh, it's sometimes called the Hall of Faith, right? And what a beautiful example. So, so it's interesting that the writer of Hebrews would choose that sort of litany of these successful Old Testament saints. Now, why would he do that? 
Well, certainly writing to Jewish believers, they would have an incredible familiarity with the people that are part of this list. And so if these Christians, these Jewish Christians are tempted to loosen their grip on Jesus and return to Judaism, what does he do? He points to faithful people in their own heritage. You know, look at Abraham, look at Moses, look at all of these people that maintain this faithful walk uh, with God. And he points to Jesus as a reminder that Jesus is working in the lives of these Old Testament saints. And so from there, he actually points to the person of Jesus. And he's setting up the warning that we're getting to today, this final warning in our study. But here's, here's how he sets it up, okay? Hebrews chapter 12, the very first verse in pointing to Jesus. Therefore, he says, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, he starts with. Okay, he's just come out of Hebrews 11. Now, unfortunately, this is one of those texts that I think has been grossly misinterpreted. Most people read this passage and, or have interpreted it through the years and going, it's like all of those dead people are leaning over the rail of heaven and they're watching your every move. I don't think that's what this passage is saying. I think that group of people is unaware of what you're going through. Instead, he's just saying, what is a witness, by the way? A witness is one who testifies to the reality, what he or she has seen or experienced. So he's saying, since we have, what's unfortunate is the word cloud there, because it tends to go up here, you know, right? Cloud, again, that's where it comes from. So, so think about it. He's just gone through all this list of these great Old Testament saints. And he says, see that we're surrounded by so many examples. That's what he's saying, Okay. So therefore, since we're surrounded by all these examples, these witnesses, what do we do? Let us, he says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Now, what's fascinating, if we had more time, I would distinguish for you the difference between a weight and sin. There are things in our lives that are weights, they're encumbrances in our lives, but they're not sin. He distinguishes between the two. So we're to... We're to lay aside every weight, it might be scheduling things, it might be hobbies, it might be stuff that in and of themselves aren't bad, but they're keeping you from Jesus. Lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and run with endurance the race that is set before us. This has been his call to these people through this whole book, right? All these warnings. Okay, guys, you know, endure, endure the race. How do you do that? Look at verse two, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, the originator, the perfecter, the leader, the captain of our faith is how you might translate it. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And then here he continues to tell him what to do for consider him, Jesus, Consider him. Now, that, that word consider literally means to compare yourselves to Jesus. Take a look at Jesus. Consider Jesus. Compare yourselves to Jesus, who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you should become weary and discouraged in your souls. In other words, he's saying, you guys think you have it tough? Look at Jesus. Look at what Jesus did for you, okay? So the author of Hebrews continues to set up this fifth and final warning to these Jewish Christians. And he often refers to Old Testament accounts. Have you noticed that? Why would he do that? Well, because they're so familiar. This is the background they've come out of. So he points back to the Old Testament and say, let me tell you something you should be familiar with. And then he brings it into their current situation. Okay, So they would have been thoroughly familiar with that. So listen for any hints that you hear as he begins to set up the warning. He's still setting it up. This is Hebrews chapter 12. Let me read uh, starting at verse 18. 
For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire and to the blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them. What in the world is going on here? So these final words are dripping with irony and tragedy all at the same time. What do we, what do we discover here? And the, the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. This is a tragic place to be. These people said, oh God, don't say anymore. Oh God, I beg you, Moses, you can go talk to him, but don't let him talk to us. That's how bad it had gotten. So what is this passage describing? Well, the Israelites had been freed from slavery, remember, 400 years. And so when you're coming out of slavery in a pagan culture, you don't know how to live. You don't know what's right, what's wrong. You don't know any of those things. So God had to provide this nation with a kind of constitution. We know it as the law, specifically the Ten Commandments. So the Ten Commandments were a constitution for the nation of Israel to help them know how to live. So they're coming out of this uh, environment of slavery. And God says, okay, th this is what you, you need to know, okay? And so they're, they're receiving these laws by which their society is to operate. And this is found in Exodus 20. It's that famous chapter that describes the giving of the Ten Commandments. That's where this illustration comes from. So let's go to Exodus and look at it. Exodus 20, okay? Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. And then they said to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. So you see the familiarity? That, this is very similar to what we just read in Hebrews. So this is when they approached the mountain, Mount Sinai, okay? I mean, it was, it was a pyrotechnic show. So there was, there was lightning, there was thunderings, there was the sound of a trumpet, the mountain was smoking. I mean, it was literally a terrifying experience. And the people said, okay, we, we, we don't want this. We, we don't want to hear from God. This is terrifying. So whenever the author of Hebrews points back to the disobedient Israelites, He's always drawing a parallel that suggests that the readers are engaging in the same sin with, and they face a similar peril. That's what he's doing. So if you go back and look at what we've covered in Hebrews, you'll discover all the time he's going back to the Old Testament. Why is he doing that? He's saying, okay, does this sound familiar to you guys? You're doing the same thing. Does this sound familiar to you? Will you face the same peril that these people faced? That's how serious this really is. So we too might be engaging in the same sin and face a similar peril. Now, do you remember how the book of Hebrews starts? Way back weeks ago, I suggested that we start out of chapter one and here's how it sounds. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, right? Now, would it surprise you that we hear this theme in the very first verse, the theme of God speaking? In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophet. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Would it surprise you that God would revisit that theme? That out of the blocks in chapter one in Hebrews, we would find God coming back to, hey, remember what I said in chapter one? <laughs> well, that's exactly what he's doing. Here's the warning, okay? The fifth and final warning in Hebrews. Verse 25, chapter 12. 
See that you do not refuse him who speaks. So right out of the blocks, we heard this is a God who speaks. He's spoken through the prophets, and now he's spoken through Jesus. And so the final warning begins with this sort of ominous tone. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now... He has promised, saying, yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things which are being shaken, as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably and with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire." Now, did you notice, just, just sort of follow along, you see the word speaks, the word spoke, the word speaks again, and the word voice. So when we fail to listen to God, it's a hearing problem for us, not a speaking problem for God. So most notably, God has spoken in his son, Jesus. And so what does he say? See that you do not refuse him who speaks. They didn't escape. Now he's going back and covering Old Testament situations where God's temporal judgment took the lives of the disobedient. Now they didn't escape, okay, who refused him who spoke on earth. He was speaking and you refused to hear him, he says. They didn't escape and refused him who spoke on earth. Much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. So God shows up, the ten, giving of the Ten Commandments, and there's a lot of fanfare, okay? Now what he's doing is he's comparing that situation with what they face now in the person of Jesus, who, by the way, can be equally terrifying. But now we have this access to Jesus, we have this privileged access into his presence. Once more, he says, I shake only the earth, but also heaven. Now, this yet once more indicates the removal of those things which are being shaken. In other words, we're not going to have this temporary thing again. We're talking about eternal as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. What is it that cannot be shaken that will remain? Do you know what it is? A new reality, a new existence a new kingdom being ushered in by God. That's why he says in verse 28, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Now, this has been that keep your eye on the kingdom theme that the writer of Hebrews has emphasized throughout this whole thing. He's saying, listen, you as believers need to live faithfully. Don't let go of Jesus. One day you will inhabit an eternal kingdom and you will be a co-ruler with Jesus. You will reign with him in that kingdom if you are faithful. Now, every believer is going to heaven, but not every believer will reign with him. He's talking about this kingdom, anticipating this kingdom that is coming. And then he reminds him once more, our God is a consuming fire. And as we've seen in this series uh, every reference to fire in the Bible is not always hell. And so he's describing the judgment of a believer. So the fifth warning is simply summarized like this. Never stop listening to God. He speaks through Jesus. Why drift away from Jesus? Jesus is the very mouthpiece of God.
Now, even though we've looked closely at each of the five warnings in Hebrews, maybe we should back up and ask a question that I think helps us wrestle with some personal and practical application. And the question is this, what's the purpose of the warnings? Now, we've examined all five warnings in the book of Hebrews, but, but how come? Why, why did God give us an entire book of the Bible that lays out five very specific warnings for believers? So we've seen over and over again that the author is writing to genuine Christians, not fake Christians, not people who just think they're Christians, real Christians, the genuine article. And these real Christians are capable of all kinds of sins. If I just did a little show of hands here, let's all talk about every sin we've ever committed. Well, number one, we'd be here a long time, but also it would be embarrassingly comprehensive because a believer is capable of any sin. And I'm often bewildered when I hear someone casually claim something like this. You know, a real Christian would never fill in the blank. Or a real Christian would always... So what interests me with this sort of discussion is I'm always fascinated by the phrase real Christian. Because when a person starts a sentence with a real Christian would never blank or a real Christian would always blank, they're about to tell you how a Christian should earn, keep or deserve their salvation. They are about to subtly introduce the idea of works and behavior. A real Christian would never whatever it is. It's always behavioral. You know, a real Christian will always da-da-da. And you know what we see in Hebrews? A real Christian is capable of, woo, bad stuff. Really bad stuff. So the author of Hebrews has already told us that Christians are capable of abandoning their faith and rejecting Christ altogether. That's why he's warning them. Otherwise, the warnings would be meaningless. They would be pointless. They would be a waste of ink in our Bibles. In addition, we've seen that the warnings to these genuine Christians never threaten them with the loss of their salvation or the possibility of their being separated from God in hell for all eternity. You don't find those kinds of threats. So as I see it, there are at least three purposes of these warnings. Again, by way of helping us embrace just practical elements coming out of here. Okay, why, why, why in the world? What's the purpose of these warnings? As I see it, there are at least three. First, these warnings remind us that the believer's actions have consequences and we are to learn the consequences. So even if you have believed in Jesus, you're forgiven of your sins, the Holy Spirit has come to live inside of you, you're guaranteed heaven, you're headed there. Even though that's you and that's me, we still need to be reminded of the consequences of our actions because they do matter. There are consequences for good and there are consequences for bad. As I suggested weeks ago, God leads with both the carrot and the stick. He rewards for faithfulness and he punishes for disobedience. So believers can experience God's temporal discipline as well as a loss 
of future reward. And faithful believers will reign with Jesus as his companion or partners. Metakoi is the Greek word. They will be rewarded. We're all loved by Jesus. We'll all be with him in eternity. But some of us will experience a greater capacity for all eternity. It's, it's so profound, okay? So, we got to learn those consequences. But there's a second purpose of these warnings. The warnings help you assess your direction. In other words, how are you doing? Where are you facing? Where are you headed? So we read these warnings in the book of Hebrews, and we're apt to ask, okay, well, they did that. The warning is this. How am I doing? Where am I headed? Assess your direction. Paul called this assessment a personal examination. Here's what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. He says, examine yourselves. By, by the way, this is a group of very carnal Christians. He addresses them as, as carnal, but he says, you know, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you are disapproved? Here's the problem with this passage. So many read this and go, okay, I'm supposed to examine myself and look at my behavior to see if I'm really a Christian. Do you know that no verse in the entire Bible says, look at your behavior to see if you're really a Christian? Instead, one qualifier, have you believed in Jesus? Because as we've seen so far in Hebrews, they're Christians that don't look like Christians. In fact, that's the purpose of the warnings. Guys, you're letting go of Jesus. You're releasing your grip on him. You're drifting away. Paul says, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Now, that would be a different discussion if the phrase said to see if you're in Christ. But that phrase in the faith is used over and over again in the New Testament to look for a believer to look at their life and their walk to deter, <coughs> determine whether or not you're walking with Jesus. Are you walking with Jesus? That's what it means to look, see if you're in the faith. And so if I were to ask you today, believers and those of you joining us online, are you, are you in the faith? Are you walking in fellowship with him? What direction are you headed in? So uh, a couple of weeks ago, it was the running of the Kentucky Derby and Trisha and I were at home. We kind of looked at our watches and went, wow, okay, it'd be kind of cool to see. You know, it's an all day deal. We didn't have our hats on. We didn't make mint juleps. We didn't do any of that. <clears throat> but we said, hey, let's catch it. It's, it's, it's about to run. So we had a little preview there, about 30 minutes of watching that. And then you, you, if you know the whole story, you know, just like the, the, the 80 to one odds out favorite, um, no way. That, no, that, no way that horse is going to win. Rich, rich strike is the horse that won. I mean, it was just incredible. We were sitting there going, no way, no way, no way. Okay. But it was the video B-roll that sort of warmed my heart. All the lush bluegrass country, the fences and the horse farms and all of that. So Trisha and I went to school just south of Lexington. And when I was a college student, I worked at a horse farm. Not with the horses, but mostly just in the, you know, cleaning up stuff. And I was in a truck one day and I was not cleaning up that stuff. I mean, just other stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I was in a truck one day and uh, was tending to a fence. And I got back in the truck, it, you know, crank, cranked the truck up, stepped on the gas, not realizing I left the truck in reverse. 
And it just went bam back into the fence. So I had to go to the owner and go, I don't know what it was. This fence just jumped out at me and it hit the crowd. And I didn't do that. But here's, here's the deal. I didn't even realize that the truck was in reverse. Now, there's some of you, spiritually speaking, you don't even realize that you're already in reverse. You, you've already like, okay, there's Jesus out there. You've already put the truck in reverse. And it's just a matter of time before you crank that truck and you hit the gas. And you're going to be moving away from Jesus. It's possible. This is what we've been told over and over and over again in this book. But I believe there's a third purpose for the warnings. If you pay attention to the warnings, you can course correct for the future. You can course correct for the future. It's not too late, in other words. It's not too late for a fresh start. You see, there's so many of us that have bought into lies. And the lie goes something like this. Well, why should I even try? I mean, look at what I've done. Look at how I've failed God and failed people. Look, look, at, look at my history. Look at my past. Yeah, I, I know people have their sin and this and that, but, I, you know, you don't understand. This is my sin and this is weighty. And so I'll, I'll never really be able to recover from that. So why try? That's a lie. God is a God of fresh starts. Thank God. Right. He's a God of fresh starts. And so what does that mean? It means that when we look at the warnings in Hebrews, we can, starting now, course correct for the future. Yeah, we may have been headed down that path, or we may have even reversed course and gone back this way. We, we had our life in reverse without even knowing it. But it's not too late, right? The warnings are not meant just to point out bad stuff. They're also meant to motivate us God has good for us. Again, a carrot and a stick kind of thing. But I believe one of the most vital steps in course correction for the believer is the idea of repentance. For the believer in Jesus who has enjoyed this wonderful free gift of eternal life and now begins to live life. I remember a couple of years ago, I had this sort of eureka moment, just sort of reflecting. And I went, you know what? I don't repent enough. And it wasn't because I don't sin. It's because somehow I had just kind of gotten lulled into this reality that, okay, I'll just keep trying and stuff and I'll just wait, wait, wait. Repentance, which by the way, I define as decision to turn from your sin, keeps fellowship with God open. There's no way you can jeopardize your standing with God as a Christian, but your fellowship with Jesus is always in jeopardy if we're not attentive to him. And one of the best ways we can experience that restoration of fellowship with him is to repent. Is to say, God, you've brought this to my mind. I, I turn to you. I repent of that sin or that attitude or whatever it might be. Jesus, in addressing one of the churches in Revelation chapter 3, says it this way. He says, go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold to it firmly. Almost sounds like Hebrews, doesn't it? 
He continues, repent and turn to me. If you don't wake up, I will come to you suddenly as unexpected as a thief. That's what he's saying. Wow. When's the last time you repented? I just talk to God. God, I'm, this is what I see, God. I'm so sorry. Would you help me? Would you restore me? Would you help me course correct as I move into the future? So remember the earlier verse in Hebrews chapter 12. Would you just let this wash over you? Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Listen, one day, this is all going to be over with. And we're going to be with God forever. And the way that we live now, in keeping our eyes on Jesus, and following Him, affects the quality of our eternity. Not the destination, the quality of our eternity. And that's why the writer of Hebrews has told us over and over and over again in these five warnings, this is serious stuff, guys. Don't loosen your grip on Jesus. Don't go embrace the counterfeit. Don't turn your back and return to the familiar or the easy. Keep focused on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. It's worth it. It's worth it. Our God, we're grateful for your generosity. You're generous with grace. You're generous with forgiveness. You're generous with promises. You're generous with hope. You even tell us what it's going to be like. I guess put another way, you've given us fair warning so that we can anticipate eternity that's just like what you described. Help us, we pray, to avail ourselves of the empowerment of your Holy Spirit who lives inside of us, who believe you, trust you, live in such a way that we know this is going to happen so that we can experience rich reward with you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.